I was told about Captain Cook before I was taught and told about my Aboriginal history because it's the way that we're conditioned, right? And yeah, my mum or my dad may have wanted to tell me about that stuff, but like many things around those topics, they probably avoided it out of getting the kids in trouble because let's not forget only the generation before that, so uh, my, my, my dad's mum and dad, that was stolen generation time. So they talk about culture and they talk about the true history, they get stolen away. So I'll be honest, I didn't learn about my heritage until I was older as well. Now, I always knew I was Aboriginal because I had dark skin and, and I connected to certain things at certain times of year. But my spirituality, my journey has been relatively late in my life. During that journey, that's when it's been finding the real me. That's author, speaker and activist Joe Williams. And this is episode 272 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 272, part one of our conversation with Joe Williams. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram, Joe Williams underscore T-E-W, as in the enemy within. Tango, Echo, Wilco, T-E-W. If you're new to the show, welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you so much for being here. What is this podcast? Well, this podcast is a weekly conversation that uh, you get to be a part of. And um, hopefully, it's a conversation that will help you make today better than yesterday. That's really all it is. And um, I hope you find that <laughs> because sometimes this chat will be with someone that you know, most definitely someone like Joe, some high-profile person like Joe. Sometimes it'll be with someone that you don't know. And that's fine. But I guarantee that no matter what, no matter who this conversation is with, I guarantee that you're going to hear something in this show that'll help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's it. Something that's going to help you think about the world a little bit differently, something that you'll be able to you know, put into your general running operating system and make things a little better for you. That's what this show is all about. And today's show is definitely right up there. Before we kick on, though, I do have to admit something to you. Um, I'm slightly ashamed, but also a bit proud to say it. I've done it, team. I've gone the full Farnham. I told you there'd be no more shows. I told you that's it. There's no more live shows. Brisbane, the last Brisbane's the last time we're doing the show. Get your tickets or they're never going to happen again. But then some people, they saw the show and they said, we want you to put on more shows. And so there's more shows. Uh, yeah, we're stoked. We're, we're taking the show on the road. We're doing a couple of weekends in a row. We're doing Canberra on April the 14th, doing Wollongong April the 19th. And the next night, my friends, we are golden, golden, golden. We're going to the Gold Coast, April 20th. Can't wait to see you. Hopefully, there will be merchandise. We're like we're, we're getting serious about this business. We're making merch. And um, you can get tickets for all the gigs, uh, Canberra, Wollongong, and the Gold Coast, osherginsburg.com. Uh, when are you going to come to Perth? I don't think we're going to get a chance to come. If you can, seriously, if you live in Perth and you can find 400 people that are willing to pay about 50 bucks each for a ticket, we can afford to come. 
because there's a lot of us. There's three of us, and there's a lot of hotel rooms and plane flights, and there's a lot of shit to it. Yeah. I'm, I would love to come to Perth. I really, really, really would, but I don't know if it's going to happen. What about when you're going to come to Rockhampton? I, I came to Rockhampton. What about, I was in Cairns. What about Townsville? Well, it's halfway between Rockhampton and Cairns. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'd love to come to where you are, but I can't be everywhere. But we are going to be in Canberra, Wollongong, on the Gold Coast. So if you can get there, it'll be awesome. I can't wait to see you. It'll be good. Um, I do have to say thank you to everybody that sent me a podsy this week, which is it's, it's just a way of sharing where you're listening to the show and how you're listening to the show and how you use the show in your week. Because we all use podcasts for different things. I particularly use it. I listen to them when I work out or when I ride my bike or when I'm cleaning my house. And it's really simple. It's a photo you take with your phone. Take a photo of what you're looking at right now as you listen to this and send it to me. Send us your email at gmail.com. i got pictures this week, seriously, of people cleaning kitchens, like serious draw organizing. They must have been listening to the Naomi Simpson episode where she talked about having empty stuff in her in her kitchen cupboards, people putting the most wonderful meals together, walking animals, all different kinds of animals. And um, I think my favorite podsy that I've had in a long time, uh, a young lady that listens to the show while driving an excavator that rips the hearts out of cars and then puts those cars, once she's pulled the bits she wants out of the car, she takes the rest of the car and puts it in a crusher. And she does this all day and she listens to the show while she does this. It's a bloody ripper. It's fantastic. I wonder if she works at Monster Joe's Truck and Tow. If you just want to send me a photo of what you're looking at right now, super easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. A few people share them around in the Facebook group too, which is nice. People sharing where they listen to the show. If you want to get on that, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's osha.is slash FB group. And um, you can get in there. Facebook group is pretty good. I like it. Or find me on Instagram. Um, to check in with you this week, um, big week here, big week here. I um. I went to go see a new psychologist this week. Yeah, that that thing where you have to go and see a new psychologist and you have to go and get getting to know you, you know. Hi, how are you? You know, all that kind of stuff. I did everything wrong, though. Uh, I'm trying to get my motorbike license at the moment, so I've got my L's and I'm fanging around on this little 125 thing. And so, you know, I rode a motorbike into the middle of the city and there's traffic everywhere and then parked. I was running late and I parked and then I realised I parked two blocks shy of where the doctor actually was and then I had to I walked and halfway there I was like oh I've got to go back and get the bike and then I walked all the way back and then got back on the bike and then rode the bike another two blocks down and then find another park and then I was just all flustered and then I oh, couldn't find the building I turned up there got there late so I'm you know I'm presenting to a new psychologist you know you're trying to put on a we all try to put on our best show when we meet someone new and there i am kind of sweaty and breathless and just like just seething with <laughs> lightness anxiety and um yeah i think she just took one look at me and went all right sit down pal we got work to do <laughs> um but yeah i found a new psychologist um uh, not that my old psychologist wasn't fantastic she was really really great um, but my psychiatrist, the guy that I, I've been working with for a while now, and I talked about maybe exploring a new modality of treatment and um, this particular person he, he knows and, um, you know, she's quite good at the sort of treatment that she does. And so um, we're going to go explore that and see how that goes. Um, yeah, so that's what's, uh, that's what's happening there. Um, she gave me some homework, got lots of homework to do. Um, at the moment, it's just writing stuff down and just being present to the kind of, at this point, like avoiding behaviors that I'm doing. And yeah, it's a big look in the magical mirrors and mirrors, isn't it? I'm taking a long hat. Oh, wow, I really do get into my phone when I get uncomfortable. 
bloody hell. I do it a lot. A lot. So, yeah, a lot of homework. But that's okay. That's what I'm there for. I'm not going to ride my motorbike through the middle of town, you know, avoiding traffic for nothing. Got to do the work. Got to get it done. So, um, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. But so, I mean, she's nice. We actually had a talk on the phone, which is really good. And I recommend that. I've never really done that before. I've done it a little bit. But, yeah, we spent about 20 minutes on the phone. Um, just And I could kind of got, got a vibe off the sound of her voice that it was, it was going to be all right, um, which is nice because... Um, I like I tell anybody, people that reach out to me online or whatever, I always just say, look, you know, treat finding a new psychologist like going on a date, all right? You're not marrying the person. Um, it, I know it sucks because in Australia, there's a, a thing called the mental health plan. You can get, I think, 10 visits a year and get a lot done in 10 visits. Um, but if you don't click with the person, you're not marrying them. You don't have to go back. You can go find someone else and it's worth it. It's really worth it. It's really worth finding someone you click with. Uh, but so far, everything's okay. Well, I'll let you know. To be continued. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So let me tell you about my guest today. Joe Williams is an author, speaker, and an activist, a proud Wiradjuri First Nations Aboriginal man born in Cowra in New South Wales, raised in Wagga. Joe is a former elite athlete. He played rugby league in Australia at the highest levels in this country and then switched to boxing to become uh, the two-time WBF World Junior Welterweight Champion. Joe has since retired uh, from both of those sports and now dedicates his time to his family and to traveling the country, giving talks and running workshops on suicide prevention and well-being education. Now, obviously, I knew about Joe before I met him, but he and I met for real at the Brisbane Writers Festival last year. We were both there. And he and Audrey and I that night, we shared a wonderful meal at the Greenhouse Canteen. And we just talked for hours. The three of us just talked for hours. It was brilliant. We talked about mental health. Uh, the commonalities in his story and my story, how Australia just might be able to start to heal and maybe move beyond where it is when it comes to, you know, dealing with our obligation to the First Nations Aboriginal people of this country. Uh, Joe is a, a tour de force of a human being. He's blisteringly smart and exceptionally talented when it comes to debate. He's a real powerhouse, not only in the world of talking about mental health, but also when it comes to talking about race relations in Australia. I couldn't be more proud to have Joe on the show, and I'm so grateful to do what I can to maybe introduce him to people that might not be aware of uh, you know, the kind of work that he's doing. Joe's got an extraordinary memoir. It's called Defying the Enemy Within, How I Silenced the Negative Voices in My Head to Survive and Thrive, and I couldn't recommend it enough. Uh, Joe and I uh, caught up over Skype a couple of weeks ago. He's a very busy man, and uh, it was good that we were able to caught, catch up over Skype. I'm grateful we were able to make it happen. You can find Joe if you want to you know, tell him you heard him here or you know, check out more about what he's about. You can find him on both on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Williams, 
underscore T-E-W, J-O-E-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, at underscore T-E-W. Let him know you heard him here. And please enjoy the first part of my conversation with Joe Williams. How you doing, man? Yeah, how are you, man? Good morning. Yeah, it is. It is. Where in the world are you? I'm at home. I'm at home. I'm not. I'm not on the road till uh, I'll start Monday. Or yeah, or Tuesday. But I'm on the road Monday. So uh, I've had since December ten off. So a decent while. I'm sort of. I I know that I'm overstaying my welcome at home when the boss says to me, "When are you back on the road again?" <laughs> <laughs> And uh, for folks who uh, aren't, aren't from Australia, you live uh, you live kind of a, a fair way west of Sydney, don't you? Yeah, I'm about five hours west of Sydney at the moment, out in beautiful Wiradjuri country, mate. Uh, for the for those who listening who aren't from Australia, we're made up of over 500 different Aboriginal nations. Now, um, with Wiradjuri being one of the biggest that I often say, the best dancers, best lookings, all the ones who used to <laughs> run away with everyone else's wives, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, you had a uh, quite a, a successful athletic career, both in professional uh, rugby league and also in, in professional boxing, um, which took you to you know major capital cities. But you were you were born and you grew up not far from where you live, right? Yeah, so. I- I've sort of all of all of my life, really, apart from Sydney, I've lived out in this area. I lived in Wiradjuri country, you know. So, and like I said, Wiradjuri is the biggest nation, so it's it's not as if um, you know I stay. Oh, I stayed within that nation. I was born in Cowra, which is two and a half hours down the road, but I grew up in Wagga, Wagga Wagga, which is another two and a half hours further on. So, um, living here in Dubbo now. Uh, Whenever I'm going home to Wagga, it's, you know, Cowra is a halfway stop on the way home. So, uh, yeah, all, all, I'm a country boy, mate. You know, I lived in Sydney for 10 years and and every day I wanted to be home. I had a yearning to go home and it just was me and was always going to be me. I haven't spent much time in Dubbo. I've spent a bit of time there. Uh, what's my Dubbo story? Oh, that was the first place I ever experienced a lockout. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's where they started it. I don't know, we were on tour with Channel V, I think, and we went from one pub at midnight, we were going to go to another pub, and these these bouncers who were the biggest humans I've ever seen in my life just went, we don't care who you are, we don't care what you did, we don't care that you were on TV, you can't come in. <laughs> like, it's it's 12.15. Yeah, that's when, uh, that's the thing, right? Everyone, you know, with lockouts in the bush, um, you know, I think it keeps things a little bit safer as well, you know, like... Not much good happens after that time, so and, and especially people who are coming to out to pubs and so forth after that time. You know they've obviously got a skin full at home before they've come. Uh, I always used to, uh, I would always want to tell myself like once I got sober, Joe, I used to want to tell myself like go back in time and go, nothing good's going to happen after two thirty. Nothing. The DJ's not going to play a song that's going to change your life. You're not going to have another drink that's suddenly going to make everything awesome. You're not going to, you know, meet a, a pretty girl. It's, you know, it's not going to happen. Save your money. Mate, I'll tell you something. When I was playing uh, lower grades in the NRL, there was, there was a few different uh, issues around, uh, funny that, um, you know, issues around drinking alcohol and, and rugby league players. But one of our, the head management came in and he said the, that is those exact words. Nothing good happens after two thirty. You're not going to meet the woman of your dreams after two thirty because all the good ones have already hooked up and gone home anyway. 
So you're wasting your time after that. You're wasting your money, man. I would, I would then like just stay out and just spend another 200 bucks on ever more increasingly potent drinks to try and find the thing that obviously wasn't there. <laughs> Searching for empty, fulfillment, right? So filling an emptiness, filling in a void with uh, trying to find a fulfillment. It's, yeah. uh, it's funny how the mind works. I'm so grateful that that we connected, Joe. We um we first really started talking around um Brisbane Writers Festival, and, we, and um you and me and my wife Audrey had a, a fantastic evening together, and and we had a really good chat. So I'm I'm just so grateful that we can get onto this podcast and have a have a bit of a conversation. Um, hopefully not too dissimilar from the one we had that night, but you know maybe kind of paint a bit of a picture on you and, and your life, and then maybe talk a little bit about the, the work that you do because I I really think that. You know, I'm very lucky in my in my job and in my life, and that I've had cause to travel to parts of Australia where there are far more Indigenous people than there are in, in the major cities. But it's quite possible, and you know, I heard this story the other day. It's quite possible that someone can rise to even a position of creating policy for Indigenous Australians without ever ever actually calling one of an Indigenous Australian their friend. And- <laughs> I know, right? Making change on the ground for those dark people that have never actually been and seen and and, and interacted with one. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's ludicrous when you think about it. It, it is. It is. So um, when you talk about where you were, you know, your, your younger years, what was uh, what was life like for you? What are your kind of earliest memories of uh, growing up there in Wiradjuri country? Uh, in Cow in Cowra, mate, it was it was great. We were a family. We were a pretty rock solid family. There was four children in our house. So my old, my older brother, my my father doesn't own my older brother. Well, not his biological father, but you know, he lived, he lived with with dad since he's about eighteen months old, right? But uh, and then you know, I had an older sister as well that 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 she didn't live with us, but but we spent you know quite a bit of time with her and so forth anyway, because you know, Cowra is a small town, and those small towns, and back then. Small towns are built on the back of sport, right? And 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 my dad, my dad played in in the NRL, which was the you know the Winfield Cup back in those old days, That's right? Uh, Sponsored by a cigarette company. Yeah, right. I can't uh, believe it. So my dad played in the Winfield Cup, which is formerly the NRL, and uh, so he was a he was a fair name, and his journey was quite incredible as well, where he come from and how he made to, to be where he was and, and the same with mum you know both of them come from families that had absolutely nothing which led it led into a, a family of us which had absolutely nothing but mum would work work her backside off dad would work his backside off um you know just to provide and at the end of the day like i i think the valuable lessons of if you got a roof over your head food in your guts and, and clothes on your back then you got everything you need those lessons hit home to me in my childhood, and and it was, you know, it was every it, we had everything we needed, not necessarily everything we wanted, uh, and that was you know purely kids and materialism and all of that, right? But everything we needed, we always had. And when it comes to things like love and care, you know, my my dad was he was a staunch dude, still is, you know, he's up until he was about. 40 he was probably one of my main sparring partners in the gym um so you know he held his hands up all right and if anyone sort of uh did the wrong thing by us and he looked after it um you know and so we're always looked after and loved and cared for and i guess being a 
parent myself that that has put me in with some some great valuable lessons that that I can learn as a dad you know very two very different eras of kids growing up and wants and needs but most definitely put me on a on that sort of path so can we talk just a little bit about you mentioned it there and I think it's important to talk about um, I remember when I um again had the good fortune to go and spend some time out with an interesting bunch of guys out in Alice Springs and they um referred to this person in their life as as dad uncle uh, when we met this bloke on the street and he told you know we gave him a ride and he told us a few stories about the hills around there and he said oh that's dad uncle i said why do you call him that and he goes well that's the closest word that i can use to describe him because he isn't my dad but he's not my uncle he's my uncle but he's you know he has the same authority over me um and it reminded me of um, my wife audrey she's fijian there's also a, a similar thing and like if there's some families have to have too many babies. Suddenly there's another baby. They'll just give the baby to the other family and they'll raise it. And then that's just all a part of it. And it might not feel so normal, familiar to kind of more Anglo cultures, but it's a super common and normal and loving thing, isn't it? Well, it is, you know, like my kids now, they're at the age where, uh, you know, my little four-year-old, so anyone who, who comes who, who I know and who I'm, you know, if you were to come and, and, and knock on my door, then, then I would address you as Uncle Osha, right? Um, and it's anyone with sort of a, any any older authority figure in it. What it does is is it, it plants a seed of, of of respect, you know, because you, you respect your elders and you respect your your uncles most definitely and your aunties and you know a, any sort of elder or older um, female to me, it's always auntie and uncle, you know. Like even if you you don't know the name or can't remember their name, it's always that, you know. So. And, and the way that, that our kin system has worked for thousands of years, you know, many, many, many generations on generations, it's hard to question it because it worked, right? And my, I've got five children um, to three separate relationships, no judgment there, please, but um, five ch- children to three separate relationships where I was, I was married to a, an Aboriginal First Nation girl whose family is a traditional owners in Darwin. Uh, and then I, I separated and was with, with a non-Indigenous girl and then now back with a First Nation Wadri girl, right? Now, the, the change to uh, from, from relationship to relationship, and this is in no fault of their own, but the, with, with the non-Indigenous girl, it was always, why do you call him uncle? You know, what, that's not my son's uncle, so he's not going to call him uncle. I'm like, well, that's just the way it is. So, yes, he is going to, and that's the mark of respect. And, again, like you said, it's it's not my dad, but it's the closest thing to my dad, and that's how intrinsically our kin systems have worked uh, like that forever. Now, the, the way the kin system work is a, li- is a little bit difficult to explain and probably haven't got time to explain it in a, in a podcast like this. But the way I would explain it to my kids is that everyone older than you is your, is your, is your auntie or uncle. But in, but in a lot of remote uh, areas throughout the country, i.e. your Arnhem lands and, um, you know, where the kin system is still very strong, you know, there, there could be uh, somebody younger than you who you treat 
because that, of that kin line as your as your uncle or your auntie, you know, because it's yeah, because they're eventually going to grow old and then they've got that you know that figure over you. So um, it's it's cool, but and it, but it's hard to understand sometimes. But it's but at the end of the day, it's all about respect, right? Um, yeah. that, that's what it's about. It's about respect yeah. and it's about um, showing care and showing respect for uh, for elders. And like I said, it it worked forever. There, you know, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Uh, but let, let's just okay. So I want to get to the stuff about your your father's sporting career and and the path that then you chose. But let's let's get there early. Uh, when you were going to school, because I remember it, as an adult, Joe, the things that I learned in school about European colonization of Australia were not the same things that I learned as an adult when I started reading history books and I started exploring and going, hang on a second, there's a place near Yandina called Murdering Creek and they kept, <laughs> and it's still called that? What the fuck? It's not, not um, murdering fish. Yeah, it, ain't, it was not fish, man. Uh, it was one stockman and about 70 people. It was horrible. When you were going to school in Cowra, did you get your ears prick up when they started teaching, you know, about, you know, Captain Cook and Europeans and the Queen and stuff? And then was you like, hang on, that's not what I've heard at home. Did, like, did it start to have a bit of dissonance there? Well, it was, it was, uh, I, I remember it plain as day. There's not, not a great deal of things that I remember during my early years of school. Um, but one of the very first days in year one at school, Amalian Public School in Kiara, I remember it clear as day. Is that they started to talk about a Dutch explorer called Dirk Hartog, and you know, and I was like, well, hang on a minute, that, like they're talking about Dirk Hartog being the first one to Australia, and then I was told Captain Cook, like it was, it was, it was talk between this, like the the school conversation, right, with kids and stuff like that, and you know what, as an Aboriginal man, I ain't afraid to say either that that I was taught and I was told about Captain Cook much before I was taught and told about my Aboriginal history because it's the way that we're conditioned, right? And and let's not forget as well is that, yeah, my mum or my dad may have wanted to tell me about that stuff, but they, but like many things around those topics, they probably avoided it out of getting the kids in trouble because let's not forget only the generation before that. So so uh, my, my, my dad's mum and dad, that was stolen generation time. So they talk about culture and they and they talk about the true history. They get stolen away. So, well, they you know, use was, they use language in the street or something like that. Yeah, right. So they actually get taken away for being dark skinned, like be, to 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 fix them. Yeah, like it. it so so again, like back to your point, is that I'll be honest. I didn't learn about my heritage until I was older as well. Uh, now I always knew I was Aboriginal because I had dark skin and and I connected to certain things at certain times of year. But my my spirituality, my journey's been relatively late in my life, uh, and that's when during that journey, that's when it's been finding real the real me, yeah. you know. And and that as I found that as an adult. Now, can I sit back and feel ripped off because? Uh, I didn't get taught the true history of the country. Yeah, I, I, I get upset that I couldn't be taught the real culture about who I am. And but again, I probably wasn't taught because my parents didn't know a great deal because it was hidden from them. 
right? So I get so many people that come to me and go, oh, man, my my grandmother, she hid that we we're Aboriginal and everyone was so angry. In You know, we knew that we had darker skin, but we just thought we were a different heritage. But, you know, she hid it from us. She must have been ashamed. And I was like, hang on a minute. Like, your grandma may not have been ashamed. Let's not forget that she probably hid it from you out of safety. Like, what do you mean out of safety? Well, she hid it from you so you didn't get stolen away because that's literally what happened. So, um, you know, I, I can see a lot of disconnect. And that's why there is a lot of disconnection in, in a lot of our communities. We think that Aboriginal is just about being able to dance a certain way or even we think that culture is about football and, you know, we're, we're good at sport because we're Aboriginal. No, no, no. That's, you know, we're lucky to have fantastic athletic genes because we're Aboriginal. You know, it's the, the cultural stuff is the true essence of who we are. We have to re- reconnect to that because that's where our healing's going to be as a nation for both sides. Because if I was a non-Aboriginal man, I'd feel ripped off that I was taught the wrong thing for the last 200 years too because you as an adult have learned so much more about the true history of this country. It's beautiful, you know, and, and people should connect to that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's uh, uh, so much so much I want to talk about, but it reminds me of a um, uh, where, which book was it in? They found some archaeologists. Some archaeologists found some footprints of uh, a, a man's sprinting footfalls in a in a creek bed, and they did the maths of it, and it was you know like fifteen thousand years ago or something like that here in Australia, and they they timed the distance between his his footfalls, and they went that's faster than Usain Bolt. Like and this is this is ten thousand years ago. This person was running that fast. Uh, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to be trained um, with boxing by a guy called Johnny Lewis. Who, Johnny Lewis in the, the in the international you know boxing hall of fame and so forth. And Johnny says and and says it openly that the Aboriginal uh, race are the most gifted race on the planet. Now, you know, that might cause some stir with some people, but, but um, you know, he said, we send guys to the Olympics, you know, we, we, sit, we get these coaches from overseas and say, there's no good amateur boxers in Australia. And Johnny's like, you know what, you're looking in the wrong places. You know, go out to the remote communities and you'll find kids that are faster than anyone, got hand-eye coordination better than anyone, athletically better than anyone. It's just all untapped, you know. And, and you, you know what the great thing is, is that, 
for 200 years our people have been suppressed and, and continue to be suppressed, but we were suppressed under a system that that was completely foreign to us, right? So now, you know, not even we're, – we're excelling at sport because athletically, luckily enough, we're gifted that way, but we're also excelling now in academics, and it's a completely new system that we've had to learn, that Western system, new language. I go into remote communities in, in Arnhem Land. I go to Arnhem Land in a couple of weeks. These kids speak four and five different languages before they go to school. Man, yet yet they're judged on the Western-based model of education and deemed less than. How many politicians who tick those boxes speak four and five different languages before they go to school? Well, I guess, you know, the because – in the last week or so, we're recording this uh, uh, two weeks after January 26th, which in, in Australia is the day that, I guess it's like in America, they, they would call it Columbus Day. It's the day yep. that Captain Cook shoved a flag in some dirt and <laughs> said, no, nobody lives here, we'll take it. And there's a bit of argy-bargy online and there's a bit of back and forth in the comment sections and uh, there's a bit of engagement with some people. I cop a little bit of it. <laughs> oh, fuck <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> to say it lightly. <laughs> I only became Australian in, in, in 1999, mate, and um, I became Australian because I love this country and I'll do anything to make it the best country in the world. And I, I can see that it's not the same country for everybody and that, that sucks. You know, that really, that really sucks and it's not okay. You know, um, going back to the point when you were talking about my dad and, and, and my upbringing at school and so forth, my dad is uh, singularly the most intelligent man that I've ever met right now I've mixed with some pretty smart dudes uh, my dad the most intelligent man that I've ever met yet didn't go a day past year eight at school okay gets filthy at himself if he doesn't get a hundred percent in any any testing he has to do for work and all that sort of stuff one of those guys right my dad at school I got suspended at school um, in year eight now I, I I punched on with a guy and again uh, it was uh, looking back, yeah, at the time it was I had a fight because this guy called me um, a black a black C-U-N-T for those people who can read. You know, this went on for a couple of weeks and, and I ignored it and I ignored it and I ignored it. And then I had enough one day. It was just it was one of those hot days where I just went, nah, I, I can't cop this anymore. His mates were laughing, all that sort of stuff. Now, later on in my life, I wasn't the world's best fighter, but I, I, I held my hands up all right. So I, I was taught from a young age. I knew, I knew what to do. I, I did a number on this kid, right, you know, knocked his teeth out and all that sort of stuff. And I got suspended, and, and I come home that day, and, and my dad said, what happened at school today? And I said, uh, I got suspended. He goes, yeah, I heard. Why? He said, oh, I had a fight. And he's like, all right, first things first, did you win? I was like, yeah, I went all right. And he goes, okay, that's not the important thing. Why did you have the fight? And I said, uh, guy called me a black C-U-N-T. And he goes, ah, okay, um, let me ask you a question. And and here's my head going, where's he going with this, right? And he's and he's and he said, let me ask you a question. What color are you? I said, I'm black. He goes, ah, so you, so you belted a kid for telling the truth to you. And I went, uh, yeah, but and he goes, no, 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 no buts. He said, be be upset if he calls you otherwise, but he's just stating the truth to you. Now, here's the thing about racism. You'll never, ever beat racism with your fists. You'll only ever beat racism with intelligence. 
by knowing your history, knowing your knowledge, and proving to the opposite side who's perpetrating the racism just how dumb they really are, right? And he said, that'll do more damage than any fist. He said, learn to beat racism with your brain, not with your fist. You know, and that was that was coming from a man who was a, a sturly sort of guy who was, you know, um, would punch on at the drop of a hat of a weekend, you know. And again, like not knowing knowing what trauma is and, and, and everything um, now as an adult and, and studied the genetics of it and all of that sort of stuff, that day my response to those comments was a traumatic response, right, is that I'm sick of being called this and I've been called this for generation after generation, so I've exploded. And, you know, then it's my behaviours, good or bad, that get me in trouble. You know, we strip back the behaviours. There's a lot of stuff underneath there and it's the trauma that's the, the root issue. Where did trauma come from? January 26, 1788. That that's a that's a heavy thing for a lot of people to to understand. Who, as we mentioned earlier, have never been outside of the city limits of a major metropolitan city in Australia would probably have travelled overseas before they've travelled west or east. If you're in the west of a country, or for people who read uh, mainstream media, yeah, all yeah. right, because because they they only ever portray us as 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 negative. Yeah, they only oh, yeah. ever portray us as negative. All right, now we, we've got politicians now, sports stars, authors, uh, university academics, um, lecturers, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Like, man, we're getting our shit together. It's, um, it's hard to explain or hard to comprehend something like the, the privilege of being an Australian uh, from a, you know, non-Indigenous background versus an Australian from an Indigenous First Nations background particularly when it comes to, I don't know, you know, you know, just catching the bus every day and getting stared at or just trying to do your groceries without someone shadowing you or putting a job application and then they see the name and they just slide your application to one side. Mate, it happens every weekend at the bars here. What's your last name? Oh, I better look in the bar book, you know. Man, I haven't had a drink for 13 years. What, what are you looking at me for? You haven't seen me in these places. What, because you, you're going to go by my name and my skin colour, you're going to judge me? You know, if your last name's Cook, I can call you a rapist, but I don't. You get me? Like, it's – put it down to – I'm very op- optimistic in, in, in my thinking. I don't blame the people who think like that these days because they're conditioned to think like that, you know, because – for the people who got off the boats first, they were told that the dark-skinned people on the land, they didn't, they weren't told that they lived there for thousands of years and they were, you know, had this intrinsically, ridiculously smart system of of working the land and caring for country and animals and so forth. They were told that these people were less than them. So racism is like behaviours. Okay, so we can also unlearn it, right? And what we have to do is is to genetically train it out of us. Uh, because it, you know, if I if I teach um, you know my kids not to be to treat everyone equally, then they have to teach their kids the same right for it to be um, then conditioned right. So the the guys who first got off the boat saw saw our people as you know less than you know, and then they told their kids, then they told their kids, then they told their kids, then they killed their kids. Well, this is where we are today. You know, that's all it is. So it's it's just about being informed. It's just about, you know, 
educate yourself on the history of the country. Like, so there's some fantastic um, texts out there now that that speak directly to how smart our people were. You know what? I don't know if you've read um, Uncle Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu. Man, what a book, right? It, it's uh, it, it speaks directly to settlers' notes of how smart and intelligent our people were. The, uh, uh, the, again, very different narrative, isn't it, to what we're taught? Yeah, the I, I think that to, to to try and sum it up very quickly, um, it was actually given to me by Merrick. Uh, Merrick Watts gave me that book. Uh, he's a very he's a very very smart fella, but it basically speaks to the idea that the first colonists, the first Europeans to get here to colonize the country, um, were mm. looking for evidence of farming as uh, a level of societal achievement uh, at <laughs> which they they would then negotiate. Right? What did they think was farming? Cattle, rows and rows of crops that were easy to grow, monocropping, fences, dams, that sort of thing. Couldn't see obviously the way that tens of thousands of acres of land had been delicately and carefully cultivated through backburning and things like that to make sure that certain animals at certain times of year would come closer to where the people were. Fish traps that they just thought were, you know, shallow parts of a creek. You know, like they just they just missed because they couldn't they didn't know what to look for. So they just didn't see it. So it was invisible to them. Well they were the, they probably weren't the smart ones then, were they? You know, so the people who got off the boats and thought that they were they were superior. They were actually inferior to the technology and the 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 nous and the intelligence of the people that lived here for thousands of years. So imagine they got off the boats and said, "Wow, let's learn off these people." Then maybe I might be sitting as prime minister. But <laughs> well, I think we well, well, look if we even Joe, even if we are taken on board ten percent of those farming practices with crops and livestock that actually suited the land, we may not be in such trouble agriculturally as we are today. The same country, the same tr- climates, the same barren heat, but for thousands of years it worked. Yeah, like uh, yeah. If, if what we're doing now is not working, go back to and, and start learning about what it was that did work. It's not very smart, put it that way. Uh, yeah, the way that you speak was such just calm and power <laughs> about racism being unlearned. I don't know the first thing about what it's like not to be a white straight man, all right? I don't know the first thing about what it's like to be discriminated against on site. I don't, and I'm not even going to pretend that. But I can guess what you have had to go through to come to that place of, of being able to speak so calmly and powerfully, mate. Have you ever seen a duck on a pond? Yes. The duck on the pond looks smooth as smooth on the surface, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm like the duck on the pond, man. I'm nice and smooth and I come across, you know, soft and articulate when it comes to this stuff. Up inside of my head, man, different story, different story. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, violence and anger doesn't doesn't heal anyone. The the opposite to hate, because all, all racism is, is 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 hate being spat out, right? Um, the opposite to hate is love. Um, you know, call me someone who, who's pretty simple and practical, but, you know, if we've got more love in the world, then there's less hate. And when there's less hate, there's less wars. There's less, you know, power and greed and, you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. When you when you first uh, – when, when did you first realise that you were better than everybody else at, at, at playing rugby league? 
Oh, young age, <laughs> young age. Um, again, lucky. You know, I was born with good genes. You know, my mum was a state swimmer. My dad was have you know good at anything he did, and I, I was just lucky that I that I I had some ability as a sporting kid. You know, my my older brother, who's my father's not, it's not his son. My older brother was a thousand times better rugby league player than me, but he just didn't have the desire to go on to another level. People ask my dad, who is better out of Joe and Mike? And dad's like, don't even embarrass Michael by putting him in the same sentence, man. <laughs> and, and again, but he, you know, he broke his neck at 18 and, and wasn't able to play anymore. And, you know, so it's one of those things. But I signed my first NRL scholarship contract at 13. And, and I was getting a bit of attention by, you know, from NRL clubs and so forth then. And, and then I was playing against men in the in the in the, the men's competition at thirteen and fourteen, and from a fairly young age, I, I started to realise that that I had some ability as a sporting player, but you know some 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 other things derailed that throughout my life as well. And that's where we will leave part one of our chat with Joe Williams. We're going to pick this up later in the week. On Wednesday, you'll hear part two. And when we do, Joe's going to drop some wisdom on all of us about the power we can have in managing our own mental health. Exercise is one of the key components to staying well. It's because of the the endorphin hit that we get, right? Now, when I'm not well, my partner, all she has to do is say, go for a run. Go out and hit the bag. And I'm like, be quiet, I've just had a bad day, you don't understand. Okay, go for a run and come back and talk to me then. All right, and I come back in tears going, how long was I like that for? We think we're the best poker players in the world because we're hiding it from everyone else, but really we're taking it out on everyone else and are lying to ourselves about it. It gets pretty deep and it gets pretty good. Part two of my conversation with Joe Williams will come out on your podcast feed on Wednesday. Thank you so much to everybody that made this show happen. Thanks to Rachel Barrett, my producer, or Andy Ma, my audio producer, Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, on the music. You for listening. I'll see you on Wednesday. If you want to grab some tickets to those shows, osherginsburg.com. Until I talk to you Wednesday, look after yourself. Go get to know some doctor if you need to. <laughs> and sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 